Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most Popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer. A Spotify original. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what's that? Everything cool? Yeah, I like that Mickey Mouse shirt. Oh, thank you, man. Oh, you know, you know what time it is, man. It's uh, it's it's put away the summer clothes time. Oh, I can't wait! I yeah, can't wait! Sep- Hoodie season, baby. <laughs> yeah, September twelfth rolled around, and all of a sudden it went from eighty degrees to about sixty-two, sixty-five outside. So I had to uh. It's a, it's a sad day. I actually started doing it yesterday, but it's a sad day when you got to pack up. I don't have a lot of clothes as is, but it's a sad day when you got to start putting away some of those summer shirts and things that you know you're not going to see for a little while. But like you mentioned, it's also a good day because you start to get into the more comfortable clothes and, you know, the layers that you can rock around with. I wish, like, I, I, I the, the whole... Uh, pre and post game thing with suits it's a facade like i, <laughs> I I'm, as it is for a lot of people i'm oh sure oh my god i'm uh, sure <laughs> and i don't even say it's a facade because i you know i like to look nice when i can but I, anybody that knows me will tell you i will wear <laughs> if it's comfortable i will wear whatever like uh, i trust my sense of style but i don't i'm not 
ridiculous about it. Like, I don't think I'm some kind of <laughs> leading man who's out here setting the, <laughs> setting the fashion world on fire every time I step out the house. But yeah, man, you give me something comfortable, you give me something to feel good at this at this point in my life. If it feels good, I'm going to wear it. So I uh, ran into two sweaters like these, not too, well, shit, not too long ago, probably about four years ago. <laughs> and just, you know, kept some, them kept Quite them some time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kept them together, right? You know, I don't I don't throw out a whole lot. That's exactly what I gotta do though. I uh I'm I'm getting ready to uh burn down the entire closet and see if I can uh get rid of because it was a time when I was out here just wearing things that just had no business being on me, two sizes too big and you know, I had to and have a little come to Jesus meeting about, about updating the wardrobe every once in a while. But you know, we back at it. We back at it. Tony Gill back in the place to be. Jesse Lopez. What episode is this? Is this is this episode 150? One fifty? Oh, they one didn't minute. think we had it in us. They didn't think we could do it. And when <laughs> I say they, I'm talking about me. 150 of these joints. Yeah. Shout out to Steve Cerruti. Shout out to Chris Tannehill, my man Jesse Lopez, and of course, Tony Gill and whoever's out there listening. How, hey, what's happening? How you feeling? And welcome into episode 150 of the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. I'm here for you because guess what? Apparently, while we were away, the Chicago White Sox said, we're going to do all the shit that Jason's been talking about for months now. We're going to do it right when the focus becomes NFL football, Chicago Bears football. I ain't mad at it. Holler at the White Sox if you get a chance. This next 20 games or so, it's going to be fun. Uh, and it was the Thursday game against the Cleveland Guardians, the makeup joint. And then you got the three game series starting next Tuesday. The Sox win tonight against Colorado Rockies, four to two on the south side. And Michael Kopech goes out there, a second start off of the injured list, gives him 80 pitches, five innings, strong innings, one bad pitch to Treo, the two run home run uh, in a game where I thought the White Sox could have beat up on this Chad Cool a lot worse, a lot worse. But Eloy Jimenez runs into a home run three-run bomb in the first inning uh, after Elvis Andrews gets... Elvis Andrews, by the way. Elvis Andrews is like like everyday Johnny Cueto, right? When Johnny C joined this team, it was a, a, a jolt of energy, and he was pitching his ass off. It wasn't just out here, you know, talking crazy like some vet in the, in the clubhouse who wasn't doing anything productive. He was actually one of the best pitchers on this team for a very long time. I feel like Elvis Andrews, since he's joined this team, has kind of been the guy that's been the, the everyday Johnny C, you know, if that makes any sense. So, you know, Elvis Andrews gets on base, hits a double, then they bunt, right? They they bunt in the first inning with Yoan Moncada and it had White Sox Twitter. Shout out to my man, Herb Lawrence. Herb was stirring up the troops out there. But it had White Sox Twitter on fire because how can you give away an out this early in the game? This team isn't scoring runs. And I'm like, wait a minute, they are scoring runs, but I'm, I'm here for it because I'm good for, you know, I'm here for a good stirring baseball conversation because whenever the baseball people go at it, I feel like I'm always on the outside like, ooh, what you going to do about it? Oh, that's a good point. All right, what you going to say about it? Oh, no, no, he called you stupid. Oh, shit, you going to let him say that about your mama? Like, I'm just sitting here, like, going back and forth, instigating it in my head, because I'm not going to jump in. Oh, yeah, you want that right? Yeah, exactly. That right? <laughs> exactly. <gasps> what? I thought me and you was the only one that knew that about your sister. You going to say that? You going to let him say that about Sabermetrics? What? You know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden, there's some, <laughs> some chick named Sabermetrics running around the hood. See? See how we do it here on the phone? <laughs> 
Oh my God. See, and, and I won't be surprised 15 years from now if there's a little girl named Sabermetrics who just comes up to me and says, Hey, how you doing, Mr. Golf? My name's Sabermetrics. <laughs> like, get the hell out of here, kid. Scram. Your mom had no direction in her life. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did we get here? But seriously, seriously, though, you had the people on Twitter going back and forth about bunting to bunt, to not bunt. And Eloy Jimenez just says, you know, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this bitch over the fence. <laughs> you guys have this bunting conversation amongst yourselves. And then the pitching took over because nothing really happened for the rest of this game until Jose Abreu hit his first home run since like, what is it? August 20th or something? August 3rd. His first home run since August 3rd. Like, that doesn't even sound or seem right. But you know why it doesn't seem right? Because it hasn't had to be that way because a guy named Eloy Jimenez has been going crazy. Like, Eloy Jimenez has been one of the three or four hottest hitters in all of Major League Baseball since the All-Star break. And it, it, it's all that you've been asking, right? Because you know the talent is there. It's just, can he stay on the field long enough for him to his power to take over? It, his seven-game hitting streak that he's been on here. He is hitting 538, 14 of 26, four home runs, 12 RBI with a 1,077 OPS. Like when Eloy Jimenez was first introduced to White Sox fans, you know, after the Quintana trade, like, hey, this is it. This is going to be like people, I, we call him Lil Poppy. Like we thought we had David Ortiz in the flesh, and, 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 you know, in a fledgling stage. And you saw, you saw the numbers, you saw the power. He just can't stay on the field for any length of time. Freak injuries here and there. Like even when he was running the ball out to, to first base tonight, yeah, Gordon Beckham on the, on the uh, TV side of things was like, you know, hey, we got 20 games left, big fella. You know, I, I'm not mad that he didn't, uh, they didn't leg that, you know, it was an inning end double play. So that's why the play came under a little bit of scrutiny, but he wasn't mad at him. And I'm not either. Keep that bat in the lineup. Y'all can take that false hustle shit somewhere else. The, the, the Sox got to score runs and they have been scoring runs. You know, like I mentioned, since August 30th, they are first in Major League Baseball in run score. They're first in Major League Baseball in run differential at plus 32. They're first in runs per game at six and six, what, six and a, 6.15 runs. I mean, they're scoring six runs a game. You know, over these last couple of weeks, batting average third, 291 home runs, fourth, second in slugging percentage. So the offense is finally awakened for a long stretch of time. And we've been saying this on this pod for how long? Like, yeah, it's cool to get you two out of three every once in a while, but they had to go on a run of 10 out of 13. Well, guess what? They've won 10 out of their last 12 games. They go five and two on the road trip, and then they start this homestand with a win against the Colorado Rockies. So I'm not mad at anything that I saw tonight. You can get into it about the bunt conversation all you want. Uh, when, when the team is scraping and clawing the way that this team has to scrape and claw while the Cleveland Guardians are playing the kind of baseball that they're playing, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. So I, I, I thought tonight was one of those nights where I, I'm not even going to bullshit y'all. Y'all know if y'all been listening to the pod, I have been focused on Chicago Bears and NFL football because of what this season has been for me as a White Sox fan, putting all my hopes and all my, you know, expectations into seeing this product and, and being at this point of the season thinking about, all right, what are the playoff rotations getting ready to look like? Like who's hurt? Who's coming back off the men? Who's going to be a part of this thing for a long extended postseason run? And in this position that we sit here while we're uh, taping this podcast, you can, you, you're still three games out. Like you lost a game while you have had one of your hottest streaks uh, in, of the year. So the Cleveland Guardians, that's a young team who now believes 
that they are good enough to win this division. And you put yourself in this position if you're the White Sox. So I'm not mad at it at all. It's, it's going to make for a, an interesting last month or so of the season. But before the game, I thought was uh, equally as interesting because when, when you, and, and I'm about to play the, the cut right here, but when, you, when you're playing the way that this team is playing, you want all hearts, minds, souls, bodies, spirits, whatever the case may be, focused on the main goal at hand which is chasing down the Cleveland Guardians and finding your way into the playoffs some way, somehow, right? That wild card situation, that's a pipe dream at this point. You got to chase down this bad division leader, which is the Cleveland Guardians. And what you can't have is anything that is going to take away from it. And let me tell you why a friend of the program and a dude that I have respected since not only uh, I started getting a chance to cover him in this city, but working with him as well at NBC Sports Chicago. Ozzie Guillen is the only manager that I've ever known on the South Side to win a World Series title, so he will forever be respected. And just because of the kind of dude that I know him to be, the baseball mind that I know him to be, and also the fact that the things that that this city probably wouldn't normally allow in terms of uh, a language barrier or what you think of a person. Like, Ozzy Guillen can say and do what the hell he wants because Ozzy Guillen has done it, right? He's won. He's won at a real level. And he's, he's, he's guided a team to relevancy that's always felt like a, uh, you know, a, a second-class citizen in its own city. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, no, it's no crazy, you know, it's, it's not out of bounds to say anything like, White Sox fans sometimes feel like um, like they don't get their just due. I mean, hell, how many years did, did people fight in, in terms of measuring column inches when I was a kid? Like, oh, you're, the Cubs are getting this many inches in the Tribune and the Sun-Times and the White Sox are doing this. And hey, all yo. the talk, yo, take it easy. Take it easy. Take it fucking easy, Tony. All right. We're not on that right now. You can hear me in the background fumbling, trying to get the damn cut ready. I'm trying to land the plane here. We don't need the pause game in this situation. Huh? God damn it. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> ah, see? Damn it, I did it again. See? <laughs> All right, man, to hell with this. All right, so this is what <laughs> this is what Ozzy Ken had to say in the pregame about the situation regarding <laughs> I hate you so much, dog. Like I, I I love you and I hate you all at the same time. This is what Ozzy Ken had to say about distractions and the Tony LaRusso situation. All right. Let's 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 give it a listen. You talk about distraction? Yeah. They don't want distraction. This is a distraction. Why? We be talking about this every day. Media people go to ask every day about the players. How you think, you know me, mm-hmm. Mr. Connie McIdo from Venezuela is doing. He's doing tremendous job. Nobody can take that yeah. away from him. And, and it's one thing. The long Tony Russo said a couple of days ago, the long Tony Russo is the manager of the White Sox in papers. Yeah. In there. Okay? It's, I will make such a turn. You know what? You in or you out. You would about, say that to Tony? Yeah, I said, you ain't going to, you out. I said, well, my daughter said, you know what, you out then, because why? We keep waiting and waiting, and the thing is like, who's going to be next week? It's going to be tomorrow. And believe me, the players, think about that, talk about that. We talk about this every day. Yeah. And I say, you know what, I think you should be done, or you say, oh, or, or you go back to the field. And I bet you Tony when I go back in the field. Yeah. But the doctor say no. I said, you know what, doctor, I want to be back in the field. I go to change the picture. Poof, <laughs> gone. That's, That's that, what you would do. I will do that. I know my family is not going to let me do it. Maybe my wife, yeah. Maybe now my wife say, I hope you die tomorrow. <laughs> but anyway... Plus, that's the one thing about it, because Tony Russo say, I don't want distraction in the ball club. Yeah. This one is a pretty good one. 
I'm 100% right there with Ozzy again. Tony, we hope that you're all right. We hope that the ticker is, is going to be good long term. But we, you don't need to come back, bro. You, you, can, you can go ahead and go ahead and sit this thing on out. You don't have to watch the games from the suite. Players don't have to keep answering questions about you. There doesn't have to be any flip-flopping back and forth. Miguel Cairo is the new manager of the Chicago White Sox for the foreseeable future. And, and I, you know, you shouldn't lose your job to injury, and I'm not trying to make light of any medical situation that Tony La Russa is going through right now, but it seems like it's probably best for both cases in this moment that Tony La Russa gets himself together health-wise, listens to his doctors, and never touches this baseball team again for the rest of this year. That's what it seems like to me. Like I said, I want to stress the fact that I want Tony La Russa to, to make a full recovery from whatever he's battling in this moment, right? I, I don't want to be that guy at all. I don't, I don't even like talking about people being injured in any, any kind of weird way. So never mind the fact somebody dealing with some real-life situations when it comes to health complications, but Tony, Tony, <laughs> I, I know you want your fingerprints all over this thing, but they're there. They're, they're, they are clear. <laughs> they are evident. You do not have to worry about anybody thinking that this wasn't a Tony LaRusso managed team, fam. They're there. They're the, the 500 record is right there, stapled right to your pl- You You good. You're fine. You know, you know I'll try to Greg Popovich this thing. Remember when Greg Popovich did to Bob Hill back in the day? When David Robinson broke his leg, all of a sudden they get the number one pick. Greg Popovich was in the front office like, you know what? I think I, I think it's time for me to coach some basketball. I, I, I believe that Bob Hill is taking this team far enough. I think now with one of the greatest big men of all times <laughs> paired with what's going to be one of the seven, eight best players of all time in the future, I think it's time for me to start telling people where to go on the floor. And Tony LaRusso in the cut like, ooh, we. And bats heating up. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> just, hey, hey, it was just a little heartburn, y'all. I'm good. <laughs> you know, you know, I switched from dark to light midway through the season. I <laughs> it didn't treat me right. I'm back on the, you know, I'm back on what I used to have. I'm cool now. Like, nah, player, we good. But honestly, honestly, um, it it is going to become more of a distraction as this thing winds down. They've been asked every uh, what's the biggest difference between Miguel Cairo and Tony Russo question. Now, all of a sudden, it's, hey, are you guys looking forward to Tony coming back? And dudes are like, hey, man, I do not know where I'm going to live in two months. <laughs> you asking me about my man up there eating popcorn, watching the game in the suite? Like, come on now. Everybody's an adult. Everybody's a professional in this situation. I am with Ozzy again. You got to figure this thing out. Can't let this thing drag on. This team doesn't need any other distractions outside of the ones they already have. So, yeah, it was a good win for the White Sox tonight. Uh, It was good to see them hit the ball out of the ballpark at home in front of their home crowd as this season winds down. Just got to keep playing this kind of baseball. Next time we talk to you, we'll be in that weird uh, makeup game situation with the Cleveland Guardians. So the next time we we actually get a chance to to jump on the pod with you guys. It'll be post game of what is you know essentially not essentially but you know a, a kind of a weird pseudo playoff kind of vibe because they have to they have to sweep to get the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker is very important in this situation. Obviously, they got to win these next four games against the Cleveland Guardians to take the season series. So every time out over the next what is it uh, eight nine days. 
They're going to see them four times over the next eight, nine days. They got to beat them every time out. So whatever it takes. You see what happened with Michael Kopech. He goes out and gives you a strong start. Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease will be up. This, this is going to be where your money is going to be tested down the stretch here. And hopefully the White Sox have it in them. Time for some commercials. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Joining us here on the Full Go Podcast, Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. Pat, it's always good to see you, always good to hear your voice. I don't know about you, brother, but 16-1, and 15-2, and 14-3, all we need is a torrential downpour, uh, fans fighting in the stand. By the way, shout out to all the Week 1 uh, NFL fans, uh, making sure that they brought the season back with a bang. I see you, Vegas. I see you, Atlanta. I, got, I, I see you, L.A. Like, I saw a whole bunch of fans squabbling out there, sometimes in the same jersey, which is always fun for me. Like, because then you don't know who you're swinging on. You're just hoping you connect. But there was a lot to happen in Soldier Field, whether it be weather, whether it be two young quarterbacks going at it. What did you take from Sunday's matchup against the 49ers? I think that if the Bears can play every game under the sea somehow, uh, they might have a chance. Uh, look at my guy with the up. Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid <laughs> connection right there. Oh, shit. Now you're going to have all, all the pod listeners upset, just like all the people are that the Little Mermaid isn't uh, Ariel anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, let's not walk into that Little Mermaid <laughs> debate right now. I, I don't know what I can make of it as it pertains to weeks two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It was just such an outlier because, like you said, there's four inches of rain falling. Because in the fourth quarter, when the Bears have that lead, the whole field is a puddle. And even Matt Eberflus said afterward, boy, I'm glad we had the lead and weren't chasing points in the fourth quarter just because of the weather. I, I think we can, I think what we already knew was that Justin Fields' ability to be elusive and throw deep was elite, and he showed that off. Uh, Trey Lance, to me, looked just fine. I, I realize that people are looking for reasons to be outraged in San Francisco because they lost to the Bears, but I don't think this is any indication of his season. Uh, and honestly, on a dry field, if they played this game 10 times, I think the 49ers probably win eight of them. That said, how many of these games have the Bears played in the last 10 years uh, where they have a chance to, to scare somebody or steal a win and they don't do it? I, I think the fact that they did is, is certainly worth giving Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields uh, in that defense uh, mounds and mounds of credit. Yeah. I mean, those are the games that the Bears usually lose while looking horrible, while being in poor conditions. So uh, it was good to see them actually be more disciplined than the team that went to the NFC Championship game. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Allen Williams' defense with you. Um, Matt Eberflus kind of made it very clear that I have my thoughts on defense and I have the things that the principles that I'm going to stick to in the core beliefs. But Alan Williams is out here doing his thing. Uh, what do you think we learned? And obviously, like you mentioned, the torrential downpour and all the things that change the dynamics of a game. But what do you think we learned about the profile 
of play calling? Because we've talked a lot about Luke Getze. What do you think we learned about Allen Williams? I think we learned that he's not going to take a lot of chances. You knew that if you looked at the blitz rate that Eberflus ran and even that Williams ran when he was in Minnesota for two years. But they might not have to. And I mean, one of the things I take away is they're, they're a try-hard team, and, and we've talked about this, I think you and I even, that in the NFL, that's a pejorative sometimes. Is that when you sit there and go, ah, oh, they're a try-hard team, that means they don't have the talent. But, but they play really hard. Even in some of these meaningless uh, preseason games, you, know, you could see them hustling in the fourth quarter uh, in a way that the other team was not. I think on the defensive side, side of the ball, they have the talent to be able to hang with a lot of teams. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I can say that on offense. But, you know, the first drive of the damn game, you see Jalen Johnson punching at the ball in, you know, in the red zone, uh, it, you know, it's, and then uh, Jaquan Brisker scooping it up there at the end, Eddie Jackson, uh, who hadn't had an interception uh, since you and I were both in our thirties, uh, you know, jumps a route and, and, steals, and seals the game. And, you know, those are things that, you know, I don't know that Eddie Jackson was playing uh, with this level of intensity the last couple of years. and. Mm-hmm. You know, you put all that together. I think this defense has a chance to be, I don't know, B, B plus. And, you know, you can win a lot of games in the NFL if your offense is also a B or B plus. To me, that's the bigger question. All right. Let's talk about the offense. Justin Fields had to do some Justin Fields type things. But the outliers, we already understand what the execution can be when he has to execute over the play or over the garbage or over the trash, whatever's happening around him when things kind of, you know, devolve to a point where he has to be a magician. Those are outliers to me. Those are the plays, those are the wild plays that you do draft him for that you're like, ah, hopefully two or three times a game he could play over the play. When it came to being on schedule, I know in these conditions, and I, that has to be the caveat throughout this this conversation, when it comes to being on schedule, reading, reacting, uh, delivering the football, uh, seeing matchups as well, noticing who's open and who's not open. How do you think Justin Fields performed in his first week? Okay, <laughs> not not at the level that he would like or that the Bears would like. What I need to see from him is I need to see him getting the ball out on time and to the right person. It's amazing. You know, he's, and we couldn't say this about Mitch Trubisky. He's got the hard part taken care of. The supreme athleticism, the ability, even on, like, look at that Dante Pettis touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. You know, that play is dead if he doesn't pirouette the wrong way out of the, uh, out of the collapsing pocket and roll left. You know, and he did that, and one defensive end dove for him and missed, and the other guy tripped over the other defensive end. It was like a, you know, like a Three Stooges thing or something. <laughs> that, that part is something that, you know, maybe 10 people on the earth can do, and he can do that. Now I want to see him do the thing that, you know, 50 other quarterbacks employed by NFL teams can do, which is take the snap, make the quick read, get it on time. When Luke Getze came in, one of the things they focused on was, remember this, they switched. But leg was backwards. They switched his steps a little bit. The entire offense is predicated on timing, on boom, 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 out. And I didn't see a lot of that. Now, like you said, Field said after the game that it was play to play on whether he could control the football because he didn't know how wet it would be. Uh, I think it'd be foolish for all of us to you know read too much into this. But what we saw in the preseason and what I've seen in practice goes along with the fact that I need to see him make those timing plays. Um, I need to see him do the mundane right because we can see him do the spectacular right. But that mundane, the reason they're in third and seven, third and eight, third and nine all day is because the mundane was not going to go. 
Luke Getze for a little bit there, I thought, rolled the hot hand in Khalil Herbert. And whenever we talk about a new offense, we're always talking about the quarterbacks and the wide receivers uh, and, and how they're going to mesh because it's a, it's a throwing league. It's a passing league if you want to win championships. But did I look too much into the fact that David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert were approaching the line of scrimmage uh, with a different kind of verve? Was there a vision thing there? Is there an issue? Maybe not enough preseason time in this offense for David Montgomery. Like, seemed like he was chopping his steps approaching the line of scrimmage, whereas Khalil Herbert and maybe if I go back and look at this, maybe Khalil had more shotgun snaps where, you know, you get the ball and go as opposed to the stretch plays that they were trying to run with, with the outside zone stuff with, with David Montgomery. But did you see a difference in the running styles and did you do you think that Luke Getzey not only noticed that but had to had to make a play had to make a call late in that game and try to figure out who he's going to run with because I thought David Montgomery did a pretty good job in pass pro so it wasn't like he you know he's, he's a damn good football player but he just he didn't run the same way I thought he would have run which was the way Khalil Herbert ran yeah and again we need to sort through how much of that was can you not slip as you are going to take the handoff or, mm-hmm. or approaching the line of scrimmage I don't think that Montgomery was benched at the other at the end of the game for Herbert necessarily. But you're right, Herbert made some really nice plays. The touchdown run of his, you know, the vision of that he had to, to kind of cut back left uh, in one motion and get in there uh, was special. And Matt Eberflus pointed that out after the game. But he also said this when somebody mentioned Khalil Herbert running well, he said, "Boy, those holes were pretty big for him, weren't they?" So whether that is just a smart strategic move as a head coach to say, "Listen, I'm sure David Montgomery's frustrated about this," you know, about Herbert getting the snaps that he did. I'm going to say something publicly uh, to comfort him or whether he meant it or whether it's probably a little bit of both. I, I thought that that was a wise thing for him to say. We've talked about this before with Getsy. The offense he came from in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Last year, their starting running back averaged 12 carries a game. Their second string running back averaged 12 carries a game. This is part and parcel of what they've done up there. And it looks to me like they brought it with them in terms of you know, you said writing the hot hand. That's true. I think maybe saving saving everybody's energy is probably a good thing too. So when you get there in the fourth quarter and you absolutely need to run, you have a guy who hasn't been on the field the whole game. One of the things that's been unique about Matt Nagy's offense in the last couple of years, particularly with Tariq Cohen hurt, is that David Montgomery didn't come out of the game very often. And I think most of the rest of the world operates in a system where you're running back, uh, you know, goes in and out with another guy or two. Darnell Mooney. Uh, one catch, eight yards. Uh, this is this is a guy who we thought was going to get the ball early and often. Do you think it's just the weather? Do you think the 49ers put a lot of cloud coverage over Darnell? Like, what, what do you think happened to kind of nullify what he was supposed to be uh, in week one? The 49ers play a lot of zone. So, you know, there are ways to try to get Mooney open in there, but, but the Bears seem to be fairly democratic in, let's face it, they didn't have a ton of completions, but the ones they did have, uh, I think we're just going to the open man, regardless who of who he may be. I think Mooney will be fine. I think mm-hmm. you know this is a guy is probably going to catch six or seven balls a game the rest of the season. Uh, you know the ball he did catch was a bubble screen behind the line of scrimmage, so you could see them thinking, okay, we got to get him involved in, in drawing up an easy play uh, to get the ball in his hand. Uh, I wouldn't be if if I was a Bears fan or if I was a fantasy player, I would not be too worried about Darnell Mooney. Right now, I'd be more worried about the efficiency of the overall offense and how that affects Mooney's catches than I would, you know, the fact that Byron Pringle and, uh, you know, and particularly the, the you know, 
I mean, what was it? Their first completion to a wide receiver was the Pettis touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's concerning to me. Uh, I mean, do you remember when we were kids and, you know, we'd play touch football and eventually you just get so mad that you sit there and go, you know, just go get open. I'll run around and throw the ball. Right. The Bears offense had a lot of that in, in, the, in the second half. And, it, you know, credit to Justin Fields for using his athleticism to make things go. But boy, they're going to have to have a more structured uh, way of being successful uh, if they're going to be able to hang going forward. Speaking of the second half, it seemed like the offensive line was moving with a different sense of purpose and and actually moving people off the ball and a damn good defense off of the ball. And not only in the run game, but the, the the pockets got a little bit cleaner. What do you what do you think happened? What did you see happen? Taking a look at the film uh, with that that five that they rolled out there, as well as throwing Tevin Jenkins in the mix. You know what's funny is, is I looked at the film and I was expecting to see Jenkins, who was the starter, or Lucas Patrick, who cycled in behind him. I was expecting one of them to be the clear-cut winner here because you're right. It felt to me like there were drives in the second half where it looked the way it was supposed to look. And most of the drives in the first half, it didn't. But really, it was fairly evenly split uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of how they, they each did. And the actual snap count was, too. I think it was 53% Jenkins, 47% Patrick, something like that. Uh, so yeah, I thought the line got better. Again, as the field was deteriorating there, particularly in the fourth quarter, I hesitate to give anybody too much credit just because it's hard to get your feet in, you know, especially if you're a lineman or you know, a defensive lineman coming off that edge, boy, I don't know how you didn't slip and fall, you know, on half of your rushes. A guy who didn't slip and fall a lot was Dominique Robinson. You know, a sack and a half for your NFL debut, uh, converted wide receiver. How do you think the Bears rookie class fared? Because I know Ryan Poles is very happy to see his young guys out there making plays because they own the field and they're going to be on the field a lot this season. Well, yeah, and, you know, Ryan Poles had something like, you know, 74 day three draft picks. So, you know, a couple <laughs> of them got a hit, right? Something I, I thought was interesting was Alan Williams. Somebody had brought up the Bears uh, defenders uh, or rookie defenders to Alan Williams during the week, you know, and they mentioned Kyler Gordon and they mentioned Jaquan Brisker and Williams actually cut them off and said, no, 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 no. You need to bring up Dominic Robinson as well. You know, he, you know, he falls in right with those guys. And at the time, Robinson had a knee injury, wasn't really practicing, wasn't somebody who we thought was going to be a steady part of their rotation. I thought he was going to be like a red shirt. I mean, mm. you know, you look back, uh, one of the things that Ryan Pace had real success with was Roy Robertson Harris. He was a guy who converted positions. They redshirted him one year. And boy, he went and got generational wealth from the yes, Jaguars last year. And, and God bless him for it. Uh, but I thought that that's what we were looking at here. And all of a sudden, this kid's playing in the first quarter. And you go, oh, okay. You know, we can see this, especially on passing downs when they need four pass rushers. I think he makes a ton of sense. You know, now that there's film of him, uh, you know, let's see how he reacts. But boy, you got to be excited about that, don't you? If you can even have a part-time pass rusher who gets you, I don't know, six sacks, seven sacks, and you got him, you know, uh, you know, on the third day of the draft, and he's somebody that can be on your next good team, which, you know, you and I both think their next good team is not this year. Uh, you know, it might not be next year either. Um, but, you know, a rookie and somebody you can grow with, man, that's that's best case scenario here is that they have young players who play early and contribute enough to justify their continued playing time. Because that continued playing time is what's going to pay off two and three years from now. What opinions that you had coming into week one were fortified and what what might have been changed? Not an overreaction, but an actual reaction to what you saw. That you're like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on this going forward because I might have been uh, 
gauging it, not incorrectly, but more information will reveal what it really is. I think that we saw enough out of Cole Komet during the preseason and during that first drive in Seattle and, and during that entire Browns game that I thought Cole Komet might be their number one target uh, in the past game this season. And part of that is, like you mentioned, people are going to try and take out Mooney. It's a little harder to do that with the tight end. And Komet was just not a big part of this offense uh, from a pass catching standpoint, from yeah. a blocking standpoint, absolutely. I thought he'd be more involved. Again, maybe this is just the rain and the conditions wreaking havoc, but that surprised me. You know, there was a play, the field's interception, which was really bad, like, like bad. Yeah, horrible. Uh, you know, he had Polk met wide open in the flat and he would have had to throw it short of the sticks and then, you know, trust that, that Komet could put his head down and get a couple of yards. I think Fields wants that throwback. And I think that is, you know, that exact situation there is why Komet can be so valuable for them if they decide to use him the right way, is that he provides something very different than what they have. So that surprised me. You know, again, you know, we can talk in a week and commit, you know, commit may have seven catches against the Packers and all will be kind of what I thought it would be. So that surprised me, you know, and with Fields, I, I think Fields reinforced what I, what I believed about him is that people want to compare him to Mitch Trubisky. And Mitch Trubisky, Played, you know, he started for one year at North Carolina, you know, and the highlight of his college career was playing Stanford in the Sun Bowl. That is very different than what Justin Fields is. Justin Fields was one of the three most famous football players, you know, walking around college football for two years. And he has experience, you know, at the at, in big games and in big moments. His two losses came in, you know, national playoffs. Uh, and I think that that has value. And I think that that has value, you know, on the NFL level. And I think the fact that that carried him more than, like I said, you know, we, his struggles were pretty well documented. Um, but the fact that that helped carry the day along with his athleticism, I think shows you that he can be, he can be special. The bears need to put him in a situation where he doesn't have to overcome their, <laughs> their mess to succeed. But you know, watching him kind of single-handedly make this offense go in the second half reinforces what I believe about him. Now, the first half <laughs> is everybody's worst fears. The first half, they didn't complete a pass beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, they, they looked lost. They were third and long a lot. Uh, and, you know, and throughout the game, you just worried about, hey, you can't let Justin get hit as often as, as he's been getting hit. So those are my concerns. But the things, the thing that was reinforced to me is I think that, I think Fields has it. and. It's up to the Bears to to put enough around him to make that successful. And lastly, what was it like covering a game like that? I mean, those those come like once every half a decade where uh, <laughs> you're just going to have, you know, you, just, you got to throw it up in the air and say, hey, do I take something from this or what can I make from this quagmire? Like, what was it like actually being there and covering that joint? Well, here's the thing that makes covering a game in four inches of rain a little less sexy. <laughs> um, I, uh, we park in the north garage at Soldier Field, which is under the stadium. Go up to the press box. I did not feel a drop of rain at any point from when I walked, you know, know, the last drop of rain I felt was walking to my garage or to, uh, you know, to my detached garage. Okay. Uh, That, (laughs) that makes the world hate sports riders and I hesitate (laughs) to say that too much. I mean, I mean, I brought a raincoat, but I didn't wear it. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, it sounds like my twenties. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dude>. uh, 
so so from a so everybody in the stadium is miserable and then alternately you know thrilled at the end of the game and soaking wet and it's this experience they never had before and we're in the press box not getting wet so throw that aside in terms of what what to read into this game i i I, i'm i'm comfortable enough in my ability to believe what i see on the field to say i am not going to read too much into this game I think that this is a good indication of how hard the Bears will play under Eberflus. I think this is a good indication on defense that they have the skill, this the skill that's necessary to be pretty good. But in terms of offensive scheme, in terms of who was used, how often it was used, and what fields did right and wrong, I think it's really hard to extrapolate that out going forward. And boy, that's a lot of fun on some level <laughs> because uh, you know nothing. Nothing in the world gets more overreacted to than week one of the NFL. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so you know, we could either sit there and overreact to what happened, or we can say, okay, now we get a second opportunity to see, uh, you know, what this is going to look like. And the Packers' defense is really good, and it's going to be a really big test for the Bears. And man, you know, I feel like this hasn't been talked enough. The 49ers' defense in week one and Packers' defense in week two; those might be two of the best five defenses in football. And it might only get easier from there. Uh, so if they can show some life against the Packers, I think that'll that'll show me a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, he is Patrick Finley. He covers the Bears in the NFL for the Chicago Sun-Times. You can catch him on the Hallis Intrigue podcast and always here in the Full Ghost. Thank you so much, Pat. I appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you. And wear your raincoat, everybody. Wear oh, it. yes. Wear your raincoat, especially <laughs> in this winter where you don't want any mistakes. I mean, or to get wet. Yeah, Thank yeah, you so much. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's Pat Finley right here on the Full Go Podcast. It's the Full Go I'm just shocked, shocked at the Bears. I mean, they took this quarterback. They went up and they spent a lot to get him, and he was he was less than remarkable. Would be the kindest thing that you could say about him. I don't know if I've ever seen such a bad performance by a quarterback in his opening performance of the season. Like, he was just completely awful. He really deflated the football team with his performance. They just, you know, when you get a quarterback, they can't do anything at all. And defensively, you shut him out basically for a half. You kind of lose hope. <laughs> you know, right now they're a team without hope. I want their I want their eyeballs, yeah. I've never seen anything about this kid that was encouraging at all. He really has to plan himself to make a good throw. Uh, he's not a quick decision guy. Everybody's shot in the rear about him being a, a mobile guy making plays with his feet. He looked like a fullback stumbling around trying to run the ball to me. I mean, he's not Lamar, you know, so I don't know what he is. He, he's not a particularly a good guy run the, with the football. And based on what I saw today, I mean, he, he missed two guys completely by themselves. Uh, I know it was in the rain, but your quarterbacks do that. You, you make those throws. Um, I know this, he can only go up, he can only get better because you can't get any worse than what he did today. Uh, I've never liked him, I still don't like him. Um, I don't know, I'd like to know what he does so well because he, he's not a great passer, doesn't have good skills, takes him a long time to set himself and throw the football, misses easy throws, and he's not particularly a runner other than that, he's a hell of a player. <laughs> That was Mike Martz's description of what he saw on Sunday on Lakeshore Drive. Justin Fields 
and Trey Lance. Um, <laughs> other than that, he's a hell of a football player. Apparently, Mike Martz wanted to uh, <laughs> take a, a, a gasoline can and a match to the performance that was those two young brothers slinging the pill in a monsoon. <laughs> On Sunday, let me tell y'all something right now, man. This is one of those things where you can get mad at it if you want to. I'd rather you laugh at it. The the way that that we all need to start dealing with life a little bit more is just laughing at the absurdity of it. Mike Martz is the same man who came into this city, touched down after the Bears drafted a tight end in the first round out of the University of Miami. This will always be Mike Martz's legacy. I don't give a shit how anybody feels about it, what anybody says about it. And if it's an echo, that's fine because there ain't no original ideas out there. This is the man who touched down in the city of Chicago with uh, a talented, good-looking young kid who could run his ass off and was G-Reg from the seventh floor. You are, you know who I'm talking about, Greg Olson. Remember the, remember the seventh floor crew song? The, the Miami the Miami University? Or, I'm sorry, the University of Miami you know, rap song that, that got Greg Olson and the boys in a little bit of trouble? Yeah. What was he, did he call himself G-Reg with the third leg? I think with that the was third the third leg, leg. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, I, how in the world did you not think that that man was going to become a generational talent, right? So he gets that, he he inherits that talent. And what does he do? He tells everybody that they can listen, hey, I need Brandon Manu Malayuna. I need a, I need a, 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 a third offensive tackle out there and pay him big money because Lord knows what he did for the Rams when, <laughs> when, when I was back there calling plays, right? He did not believe in the tight end position, did not believe in the tight end position. My man Desmond Clark, who was playing for that team at the time, Desmond Clark was a, a damn good football player. Couldn't find his way on the field because guess what? All he did was catch passes and run past people. That was, that was all Desmond Clark did. He had no room for that. So, yeah, if, if y'all gonna get mad at Mike Martz and what he has to say and how he is evaluating football these days, knock yourself out. I will not be in that line. I will not ask to get into that club. My man's is is watching football like with a 90s filter on everything that's happening right now, right? How do you watch Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson? And this is this is like one of the greatest eras of quarterbacking we've ever seen in different yeah. styles that we've ever seen from Brady to Lamar on the other end and to this completely dismiss both quarterbacks as nothing. <laughs> I mean, watching <laughs> who's still listening to him and giving him a platform is my thing. So I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep it all the way live with you. I had no idea that he had said this shit until I just heard it just now. I like. I I, I knew Mike Martz was in the the. You know how like you go on Twitter and you see somebody's trending or like, oh look at that Will Smith trending again or you know like, oh look at that. <laughs> what did Lady Gaga do? Like I saw Mike Martz and I'm like, all right. Immediately, I thought somebody was making jokes about like somebody's auntie or something looking like Mike Martz. That that's what I thought it was. Like so, I'm like, all right. That's you cool. thought the community got to Mike Martz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought that I thought that the community was done with the queen, right? <laughs> like, like I knew I, I, that's not going to be done for a minute. But I thought the community was done with the queen. They had fun with her, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we about to go on like a, a weird Mrs. Doubtfire run. Oh, the here. lunch table. The lunch yeah. table. <laughs> 
Uh, yes. Next, next. Oh, oh I see you over is, there. There's some sad ass days, boy. Them some sad days when you knew it was oh, coming boy. your way. She's <laughs> like, hey, man, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. Like, I, nobody told me they loved me this morning. I got this trash ass sandwich in my lunchbox. Please don't come my way. Oh, fuck it, ain't come. Hey, what you, know you laughing that? at? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, the what you laughing at? Come on, dog. That was that was when you was like, "Hey, man, this ain't even that ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm just over here eating my trash sandwich. Like that's how we gonna rock." <laughs> Come on, somebody kick off a beat real quick. That's when you start pounding on the table. I like, remember, remember, I'm the guy that likes to make the beats. <laughs> Y'all can't get this cipher started without me. Y'all better keep me in a good mood. Yeah, man. Come on, dog. Like Mike Martz. That's what y'all stunting still. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> What's next? Like, like who? Is Bum Phillips? Because I've been killing people lately. Is Bum Phillips still alive? Because I know Wade is. I know. I know my man Wade is still alive. But like, who? Like, which old time coach are y'all gonna have come out the woodwork so they can shit on one of y'all favorite quarterbacks and feel bad about it? Like, nah, man, I ain't doing that no more. I stopped doing that with basketball. Why would I do that with football? Football's changed like exponentially in the last five years. Never, never mind the last time. Mike Martz coached the team. So, hey, man, to each his own. You know, shout out to Mike Martz if he wants to get that kind of hate off. I appreciate the delivery. Like, I do appreciate, like, having that tenor of hate and keeping it strong. Like, there was no, <laughs> there was no, like, you know, erratic jump. You know what I mean? It was, it was stable throughout. He kept his cadence right. And then at the end, he hit you with a little line. Like, hey, man, other than that, they're great football players. Like, you can tell he's a little bit of an asshole and a performer, which, hey, real motherfuckers relate, you know? And I almost said real niggas relate, but I'm also, I'm, I'm also about to get into the Robert Sarver segment, so I guess it applies. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. You ever been outside of Chicago? Outside Chicago. Outside. 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 Where we at? Outside! So we haven't done an outside shot in a long time. And in a long time, I mean, what? Maybe what? Four or five pods, six pods, something like that. We always enjoy doing these because we get a chance to look at sports from a national perspective every once in a while. Uh, this, this Robert Sarver thing. It's very interesting to me because you got a lot of people calling for his head. And I think, well, not literally, obviously, guys, but yeah, a lot of people calling for him to have to be forced to sell his team or give up uh, ownership of the Phoenix Suns. And if you don't know, uh, the NBA, and this is from uh, the good folks at Espen, Baxter Holmes and them, uh, said the NBA announced the punishment Tuesday uh, that he would be fined $10 million and he would also be suspended for one year as a result of an investigation into the Suns franchise in terms of not only their workplace um, uh, conduct or misconduct, actually, workplace misconduct, but also uh, using racist terms. And Robert Sarver, people have been whispering about Robert Sarver since the moment he took over. Uh, the kind of, uh, the, the way he carried himself uh, we we have the funny tape of the old lady going in on him at the town hall meeting for not spending money and, and just being a trash ass owner. We've all known this. And this is what happens, though, when you let these kinds of guys roam around your ecosphere for long enough that they stumble into winning. Um, the Phoenix Suns, this thing 
if this would have happened while the Phoenix Suns were still down, there'd be more of a chance that you could force the hand here, right? And if Dur- Donald Sterling, you set the precedent with that kind of behavior, uh, being the impetus to you losing a franchise. Now, mind you, Donald Sterling was on, like, his 15th strike. Like, if you really look back at the the constant, not just stumbles, but just absolutely face plants in terms of racism, in terms of redlining with real estate, in ter- like, a whole bunch of shit this just went into it. And you make awful remarks about one of the more universally liked uh, figures in NBA history in Magic Johnson. That was the, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. But before that even, I mean, Elgin Baylor had been telling us for years what kind of workplace that was. And nobody listened to him because the Clippers were a losing team. You see how that works? When when teams either a loser or a big winner, you know you can either hide it or you can't hide it. So you give them a slap on the wrist. And please believe, you know, ten million dollars is a slap on the wrist for Robert Sarver. Or one year suspension where he doesn't have to be around the team. A guy like that, he, he'll find. I mean, some guys that may kill. I don't know. You know, in terms of like them not having something to have control over, or you know, him going through it. But some of the things that have come out from this investigation. Uh, I don't see what the grounds is to allow him to continue to have a team or be a part of the Phoenix Mercury situation going forward either. Like some of the comments that were made to pregnant women in his uh, workplace, some of the things that actually, not even, I'm going to say actually because the comments are bad enough, but some of the physical things that took place uh, in, the, in the Phoenix Suns ecosphere. There was one thing that I read in Bleacher Report that said a lady was assaulted by a male coworker away from team facilities. The human resources department was made aware of the assault and the woman said its only response was to move her desk further away from that coworker. Okay, said one woman said the toxic atmosphere inside the office, quote, breaks you unquote. And another said, quote, it wrecked my life and made her consider suicide. So when we talk about Robert Sarver in this vein of, oh, well, it's just boys will be boys and all this other shit. Well, what you don't, what you, what you have to understand is people who are insulated by this amount of money um, do one of two things when times change like this. They either conform and just do their dirt on a sneakier, quieter level because it's r- really hard to change people at a, at a at a core level. Or they say, fuck that, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I'm an owner of an NBA team and I got enough money. And who's going to stop me? I mean, physical exams where he's just, by I believe the training staff, where he's dropping his pants, situations like that. I mean, and then let's not even, you know, I don't know, trigger warning or, you know, get your kids out of the car, whatever you want to do with this one. But you know what we got to stop doing? And, I, and I've kind of broached this conversation a couple of times. What we got to stop doing is allowing nigger to be replaced by the N-word. Because as soon as that starts to hit the way it's supposed to hit, then... Maybe just maybe it'll it'll be deemed as ugly as it is when said by people outside the black race. And you can you can jump into your think pieces and 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 and, and get into my mentions all you want. Like I understand. I also do understand the people who choose to use that word inside this culture, inside this community. I don't. Um, I'm not a fan of myself when I use it. You feel me? And I I'm not gonna act like I don't use it. But 
the fact that, like, for instance, how can I put this? Um, domestic violence, horrible, right? Atrocious. Absolutely um, should be forsaken by anybody. But those two words sound and feel a lot different than when we see Ray Rice in an elevator actually committing it. When we see, and I'm, I don't mean to single out these dudes, but I'm just talking about the actual accounts that we have on video in the sports world that we can easily, ta- unfortunately, easily so tap into because of how ingrained in our, and, and etched in our memory they are, the Kareem Hunt situation. So what I'm trying to say is what we're doing now is making the N-word passable enough that it doesn't sting as hard as it should when used by people of power in this in this way. And I don't give a shit if he's explaining what somebody else said. I don't give a shit if you are singing a rap lyric. You deserve every consequence that comes with using that word outside of this community, whether that be being around somebody who ain't going for that or in this moment, like seriously, though, how much of the audience do you think of the National Basketball Association is black? All right. Calculate that, whatever rough estimate that that you think it might be in your head. Now, you tell me this. If you had a sport that was dominated by a certain race or religion, you can go there, too. Right. The consumers, large part of it. A certain race or religion now immediately drop in there. Somebody who has power inside of that organization or in that institution using the ethnic, racial, or, you know, gender slur, whatever you want to throw in there and using it freely. Because that's what's happening here. You know, it, you could play these games that he said it five times and all this other shit. This is after 2004 when they, when they kind of put their thumb on him like, hey, man, we see you and we hear what's going on. It's a bad look for Adam Silver. It's a bad look for the NBA. Because if Jerry Richardson can get his team snatched for rightful reasons in Carolina, when the NFL's like, hey, man, this is even wild for us. What are you really saying to NBA fans if Robert Sarver is asked to step away from me for a year? So, so you expect me to believe as an NBA fan, as a, a person who's around or covers this league, that they're on a bunch of owners ducking and hiding right now? Because let me tell you something right now. Sometimes people don't get removed because the people around them are doing the same things. And that smoke is coming for you, too. So, hey, let's tap him on his hand a little bit. Give him a year off. Make him think about things. A little $10 million fine. We'll figure it out. All right, everybody else, batten down the hatches. <laughs> Make sure all the leaks have been plugged. Make sure you guys are going through all your seminars and training. Like, that. that's exactly what's happening around the NBA right now, probably. That, that, uh, that Mark Cuban and uh, Dallas Mavericks situation got 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 covered up real quick. 100%. And it went away real quietly. 100%. It's too much money at stake. It's a league, unfortunately, where you can do these things, say these things, and get away with it. So, yeah, I wasn't surprised. I'm not surprised that, that Robert Sarver hasn't been removed as the owner. But in the end, what we have to do is stop treating that word like it's passable by saying n-word no put the full sting into it this ain't this ain't disney's version of the jackie robinson movie where racism is is made to feel cuddly and okay no put the full put the full stinger on the end of that beat and see how many times your constituents and your consumers can hear it it's bullshit man
It's absolute bullshit. And you mean you you want to tell me that putting things on the baseline or putting things in the end zone or putting things on a uh, you know on a on a on a you know on a on a on a base path is going to change something? A little patch on the on the on the jersey? Stop that! Knock it off! You want to change something? Here, here goes your chance. Like if you're a woman or a person of color or, or hell a white person. <laughs> In the Phoenix Suns organization. I mean, hell, some of the things that his wife put into play in terms of intimidation during that that investigation. These are the kind of people that you want to be associated with? And the only way I can get an answer is because maybe you're those kind of people. The only answer I come up with. So, yeah, if this Robert Sarver situation doesn't teach us anything else, Stop making the N-word passable. The N-word ain't the N-word. It's nigga. And that's what he chose to say several times in open air to people who can hear it about black players. So yeah, I believe Earl Watson and I believe everybody else who has said what they have said. Because after a while, so many people are saying something about you. You know, at some point, it's going to be true. And that goes for the NBA as well. Everybody's watching right now. So the NBA has a chance or had a chance to let them know what was true. So here's your truth, everybody. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 150. That's right. I wish I had like one of those noisemakers and a kazoo and like streamers to go everywhere, even though 150 isn't really like some number you should celebrate. It's just a round number. and We're happy that we can make it to this round number. So thank you so much for hanging out with us here on episode 150 of the Full Go podcast. Shout out to our guy, Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. He's joined us, chopped it up about the Chicago Bears and how this whole week one fun, you know, in the monsoon, in the rain, and messing around with Justin Fields and his feet and legs making us feel good as Bears fans. And oh, by the way, the team might still be bad. Like, that was the that was the summary that I got from Patrick Finley during our conversation. We hope you enjoyed it with him as well. I want to thank our production staff, as always, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the active Jesse Lopez, and my main man, Tony Gill. Join us on Thursday, all right, because we're going to have, uh, have like a playoff-type atmosphere. The Cleveland Guardians, Chicago White Sox, a one-game makeup, try to make more of a dent in that three-game lead. So we'll talk to you after that game. For everybody out there, thank you so much. We appreciate you so much for downloading this thing, uh, for subscribing to this thing, for rating and reviewing it, for sharing it with your family and friends. Whatever you do for this pod, we are truly, truly appreciative. And as we leave you here... Um, you know, it, I, I'm a I'm a fan of music and I'm a fan of people in this city. And a Chicago legend, a Chicago icon, Ramsey Lewis, uh, passed away uh, of WNUA fame. Also, one of the greatest jazz musicians this city had to offer. Uh, he was 87 years young, I believe the case was. So, shout out to uh, you know, rest in peace. I should say to Ramsey Lewis. Our condolences. Uh, go out to his family and friends. Also, uh, condolences and uh, well wishes and strength to the family of PNB Rock, who uh, got murdered out there in Los Angeles at the uh, Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, just out trying to have a decent meal with his family. 
and was a victim of gun violence. Um, I tell you all the time because I mean it and I, I try to live by it. And sometimes we, uh, we, we don't, we don't take heed enough. Uh, but you only get one of these things, man. So enjoy it as much as you possibly can. Uh, tell your loved ones that you love them. Hell, tell the people that you haven't talked to in a long time that you love them because you're checking back in on them, right? Uh, and remember, remember, uh, you guys hear Jace at the end of every one of these pods, and I'm truly appreciative that my little man gets a chance to have his voice heard, but uh, we got we to gotta make sure that we're trying to take care of each other and be safe for the little people too, right? Not just for us, because now there's a family without a brother, without a son, and most importantly, there's a little girl without a father. So, hey, y'all, we, we got to get this shit together, man. So, take care of each other uh, and be safe, and we will talk to y'all on Thursday. When you said playoff atmosphere, I thought you were talking about Chargers and Chiefs. You were talking about White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking piece of shit. And you will never not be one. There's my stinger for the end of the podcast right there. <laughs> I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, bad fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> in my head. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs>